Hello there, everyone. Welcome back to the Worth It Podcast, episode number 10. Oh my god, we made double figures, JD. Can you believe it? I can't believe we made it this far. Yay. How have we not been cancelled? We're in isolation week. Oh, still week one, actually. Do you know what? I was listening to uh, something the other day, and I was thinking, how long have we been in isolation for? So I texted a few people. It's only been six days. Oh. I thought it's been so much longer than it has been. But anyways, yeah, welcome back to the Worth It Podcast. We're back. Uh, today we're going to be talking about post-production, and we've got a special guest on the show. Hello, Alex. Hello. You okay? Yeah, doing all right, doing all right. Good. How are you finding isolation? It's um, interesting. We'll, we'll say yeah. that. <laughs> you got your supply of toilet paper? You, mind it? You, you could say I'm bored, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Were you one of those? Um, were you one of those people that went out and panic bought all the stuff, or are you are you a sensible person? Uh, the latter one, I think. <laughs> well, oh dear. <laughs> um, okay, so let's do this. Let's get cracking. Let's talk about post production and all things editing because at the minute it's quite an interesting time. Uh, we are, I guess we we finished our three three projects if you can count exn as a um 12 and 12 project we, we finished three before the the lockdown hit mm-hmm. so that's that means that's three editing um credits under your belt mr mr gordon um, how do you find the editing process in general i think it's really enjoyable really it's um you know just really nice to edit the footage that we've got it's really nice yeah Awesome. Is there a specific? Like, I can't even speak today. Bloody hell! <laughs> Is there a specific like genre? Do you like to edit in particular? Uh, I really enjoyed editing the EXN stuff that we've been doing. It's been yeah. really, really fun to do that. All the documentary side of it, really nice. You see, I've always, uh, I've always kind of hated documentary. I never really liked it at all. Um, especially when I started university, I never liked watching them. I never liked being a part of them. I hated making them whilst at uni. But then over the like over time ever since like i've come out of uni if we've made exn and stuff i've found the whole process of documentary filmmaking really really interesting um from from start all the way through to finish because you know you can almost design and make whatever you want anytime and you don't really have to not to act you don't have to get actors you can film whenever you want you can take however long you want on the project it's great it I flows in more naturally yeah. yeah absolutely that's right um what's your take on docs jd um, like yeah, they're easier to do, but personally, it's not my favorite thing to do. I've just never been a fan of documentaries, personally. Yeah, yeah. Is it because you find it boring, or is it something else? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I like things that are grounded that aren't grounded in uh, reality. I like yeah. fiction. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, cool. Awesome. That's just me. So obviously the editing and post-production process is the biggest, or arguably the biggest process of the entire filmmaking uh, spectrum, I'd say. Uh, it's the longest, it's the most laborious, for some people anyway. Um, and I guess arguably the most important. Do you think, Alex, that an editor has the ability to change the entire film's look? Definitely. I, th- I think the way that a film is edited can entirely change the mood um whether that be like ambient sound whether that be the if you're talking about drama you can change uh scene order to make it seem different to the viewer um Mm -hmm. it can definitely change even like the way that it's color graded can change the entire mood of a scene or an entire film yeah absolutely um, so when you're jumping onto projects or editing with projects, do you tend to work with 
directors, camera operators, all that jazz to have the same look and feel to how you edit? Yeah, yeah. So typically, um, I know that when we've done, uh, say, interview, for instance, I was on set for that. Mm. And um, looking at the script, you could kind of see the tone that was trying to be set out with that. Um, so mm. finding things like music to complement that um, and finding a colour grade to complement that was, you know, something that you could gauge off the script and obviously talking to you and talking to JD, who were obviously directing, was, uh, you know, really handy to get what was needed for that project. Who do you think is the most important person in the editing process? Aside from the editor, clearly, is it the producer or the director? I'm going to have to say the director. I think mm-hmm. that's the most important person uh, for me, apart from the editor, because they're the one with the vision for the film, and it, it's trying to get as close to that as possibly can. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Not to mention so they're the one who's going to give you all the instructions and details of where you need to go. Definitely, yeah, mm. yeah, hundred percent. How did you find the edit process, JD? laborious, tedious, and utterly boring. I I have so much respect for people who are able to sit down and just edit an entire film as quickly as possible, because I I don't even know how you're able to sit down and learn it. It's so tedious to do. I, I, I just can't be bothered to do it. Every time I've looked at an editing screen, I've just (laughs) cried and gone, no, I don't want to do it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, as you mentioned, and as I've mentioned multiple times, the word laborious, the word tedious, the word long and long and long and long and long was used way too much. Um, So as editors um, and in post-production in general, the biggest aim and goal is to try and get stuff out of the way as quick as possible. So get one part finished so we can move on to the next and get the project packaged, delivered and out into the public eye as quick as possible. with that being said, obviously it's really important to use specific programs that you enjoy using, uh, sticking to your guns, customising hotkeys and stuff. Alex, do you do the same thing? Do you have a specific program that you always stick to? Yeah, so I typically work inside the Adobe Suite. Um, I've got loads of macros set up for that so I can uh, easily get the tools I need. I know where everything is. Mm. Um, and yeah, I have dabbled in like other programs, but typically that's what I will stick to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's that being said, that'll be Adobe Premiere Pro, After Effects, Photoshop, all that jazz. Yeah. Is that because of the cross-compatibility of all the other programs? Yeah, I think the dynamic link is something that is, in the Adobe stuff, is something that's very handy to have because I can just send a project straight from Premiere to After Effects, um, bring in Photoshop files, bring in Audition files. It's, it's so easy to mm-hmm. work with. Because it's not just used in the likes of short filmmaking, but it's also widely used in like corporate work. It's used in advertising. It's used in music video creation. It's used in so much stuff. Um, the Adobe Suite. Definitely. Uh, I, I guess uh, as the years go on, Adobe's really, really, really quickly catching up with uh, the likes of Avid. Because um, Avid's obviously the traditional uh, editing software that all of the uh, industry guys use for feature filmmaking and stuff like that. Um, what, what's your take on Avid? I like it. Yeah, it's it's. I've- I am uh, Avid certified um, mm-hmm. and it's something that is when we were doing the uh, course in last summer it was something that was very difficult to pick up on but I think as 
it's like anything as soon as you start to use it more and more um you become more familiar with the software you learn its quirks you know you learn how to use it quickly and efficiently and i think that's something that just anyone needs to learn if they want to start to master any software really yeah let's talk about that other course a little bit because that was perhaps one of the hardest things i've ever done oh my god <laughs> it was crazy like you sit, they sit you down at the start of the week and they give you the thickest book you've ever seen in your entire life go right we've got three days to cover this now you got an exam on wednesday yeah um, yeah no, no pressure there but if you fail your exam you fail the entire course <laughs> and, you have to, and you have to get above 80 <laughs> percent unbelievable it is mad oh my god so i went in with um 14 people mm. and only two of us passed the first one and I knew two, those, those same two people passed the, the second one. It was just unreal. So tough. But um, it was a good experience in the end because I, I learned loads of stuff that I hadn't learned before. Because a lot of the time when I, or whenever I edited anything, I was always self-taught. So if I had a problem or I needed something fixing, I'd always go online onto YouTube and say, oh, how do I do this? And uh, somebody would show me through a tutorial. I'd go, okay, that's great. I've learned that now. And that's kind of how I learned all of my um, bits and pieces through you know using Sony Vegas at the start. And I got a cracked version of Sony Vegas and then a cracked version of Premiere Pro, CS5, 4, 3, one of them. And then uh, and eventually through uni. Um, I was still actually using cracked Adobe software through like the first and second year of uni. It's only until I realized there was a massive student discount on uh, Creative Cloud that I actually changed over to that. But um, were you self-taught in any way? Yeah, so um, initially I took the same thing. I was uh, on Sony Vegas, cracked version of Sony mm-hmm. Vegas. And then um, before I joined uni, um, I tried to learn as much as I could about Premiere. And um, obviously uni is aided with that. But yeah, a lot of my Premiere and, uh, well, I guess Vegas stuff as well is is, is, uh, all Um, self-taught. And just do the same as you, just looking through online stuff, just trying to find what works, what doesn't work. um, And just learning the tools that are in the program because there are so many. Yeah, yeah. Uh, stepping aside from like um, the likes of uh, editing for a minute and post production in general, JD, tell me, how did you yourself learn acting? Was it self-taught? Yeah, it was all self-taught. I I just went in, helped build a set one day, and someone asked, "Hey, do you want to be a part of this, this play?" And I went, "Sure." And it was the same for everything I've learned in this industry, editing as well someone will have looked and gone hey can you do this and i go no but i'll try (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely um i think it was like hans zimmer someone who had it into you uh for rotten tomatoes it was actually i remember now and and he said the first thing he does that when he looks at a project he tells himself he can't do it and he tells everybody else he can't do it and they have to go and convince him to actually make the project (laughs) um which is i think it's a great way to look at things Um, that's probably the most morale depleting thing possible <laughs> can you imagine just turning yeah, up to set it, and crazy. you have to tell your boss no we can't do it chief <laughs> so if we break down post-production there's like a million and a half different steps and processes that people have to do from when we first you know take the footage off set to assistant editing to the assembly edit to then the fine cut to the picture lock through to grading and then finally audio and all that jazz and of course including with that vfx and any animation that goes in titling lower thirds credits all of that stuff there's like a million and one different things to do with post-production that we don't think of but when we break it down there's actually a lot of different jobs that could be taken on um alex is there a favorite job that you have at all within that whole process i would say 
uh, I really, really enjoy uh, just piecing together scenes, like just choosing different camera angles for a scene, seeing what works mm. and what doesn't. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. I, I always like um, when I'm editing something and I think, oh, this camera angle just doesn't slightly work. And I scroll down a little bit further in the bin and there's like that beautiful, perfect shot. And I think, oh, yes. Yeah. I've got it. <laughs> I've got it. That's it. Um, I, I do like doing that actually, and I love how um, how differently uh, people work, and how differently different editors work. So obviously, if I was to edit a five minute sequence, um, and then I was give it to you to edit the same five minute sequence, it would look entirely different, or it might not. I don't know because uh, obviously we work together quite a lot on the same, on very similar projects. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that we have kind of a, a similar um, outlook on how we make films. So I think it might be quite similar but just slightly different clearly because we're different people so different people edit things differently yeah yeah um i guess it's like a fingerprint isn't it everyone's got a different fingerprint absolutely um so okay right let's let's have a look so you said documentary at the minute for our projects was the favorite thing that you've edited so far so exn um is there then in that case if you were to be handed a script right now what genre would it be and why? Ooh, good question. Um, I reckon for a for a script, I would probably go something that was similar to the pace of the Ghostly X. I think that was that was something okay. that was quite fun because it was it started off quite slow, and then mm. built to something which was uh, quite intense. Um, and it was, you know, it was really, really something that was enjoyable to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, awesome. So something that I've noticed whenever I'm on set and directing, uh, whenever I get up and I show people how I want them to move or to act or to do something, especially when we did like the likes of Hunted, uh, where we got the actual actors up and we we went through action sequences, we showed them the throws, we showed them the moves. Um, I felt like that really uh, helped me bring across my um thought process when actually uh, directing the the scenes and stuff do you ever feel like editing standing up getting involved with the scene yourself actually helps you edit in any way yeah i think well i think the the main thing is uh just constantly going over the script um making sure you know that script as well as you can so you can try and match on screen what is uh the tone what is trying to be set out because the last thing you want to do is change the tone to something else that isn't what was intended um yeah obviously you can experiment with stuff but the the main uh the main focus of the film has to stay and so just trying to make sure you know that script you know what's being set out as well as possibly can um is the main thing for me I guess there's something that we have to do. Oh, sorry, JD. I was just going to say, like, I guess that means you you have to kind of really work in tangents and stay very communicative with the director and everyone involved, essentially, don't you? Mm. Yeah, d- no, yeah, definitely. it kind of highlights it, doesn't it? Communication is massive. Yeah, because if you if you just take like one step out of line that isn't in step with everyone else, then the entire thing starts to derail and fall apart. Yeah, I completely agree. Absolutely. Um, 
And with that being said, some of the, some of the most laborious processes in um, pre-production, so that would be shot lists and storyboards and stuff, um, do they actually matter in edit, Alex? Do, they, do you actually look at those things and uh, help that influence your editing at all? Or? Yeah, so um, when we've worked, worked in the past, so like uh, our interview, we did um, a shot list for uh, the indoor scenes and the indoor scenes were um we had a like a favorite shot that we used and so that was something which was obviously really handy to have um because we could see exactly okay well this was the favorite shot of the scene and so we could see well okay that can go straight in the edit obviously we can see we can have a look at the other um shots that we've taken and we can see well okay that might work better but initially as a starting off point that is something that is really handy because immediately we can say well just put that scene in and see if it works or not yeah absolutely um something that i've noticed with some production companies especially is that they sort of like pre-edit their stuff before it's even shot so they like for example parasite was um it was almost technically edited before it was even filmed in the way in which they use the storyboards and match them together in within a uh, uh an animatic sequence that they then gave to the editor and said this is exactly how i want this film to look um, do you think that's kind of like cheating the system? No, I think that's actually a, a, that's a really creative way of getting around the edit because it uh, streamlines the whole process when you have actually filmed your uh, filmed your footage. That that makes the um, you can see exactly what the film should be like before you actually get the footage, which is you know something which is really handy, I guess. Okay, so with that being said then, do you feel like um, when you edit a project, it's somebody else's work or do you feel like it's still a little bit of your work too? Um, I would say most mostly someone else's, depending on how much creative uh, input you have as the editor. I think if, you, if you've changed a lot of the uh, film in the edit, if you've altered the tone as, as in some way, then I think there's more ownership on the editor perhaps. But if you're... Uh, constructing something based from the director I still think it's their project definitely yeah yeah okay cool 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 that's an interesting so, thought considering um, how much weight you have as an editor in that scenario yeah it's almost like um, I guess you get given a task delivered by somebody and you have to obey by the, the very points of that task or you can you know, do your own thing and say, actually, this is going to work better. Mm. Um, yeah, as, as you say, Alex, it depends on the creative control that you get given Absolutely. at that time. Um, and I guess that goes down with, like, trust and stuff like that between yourself and the director and the producer. You know, if you work enough with a person, they go, yeah, yeah, go on, just, just edit that and export it. That's fine. I think I've done that to you before, Alex, actually. I think it was with uh, my Ghostly X, actually. Yeah. I gave you the final fix notes for it, and I said, after that's done, just hit export and upload it. I'm done. Um, because I knew it was going to be fine because I, you know, I trust that it would be fine. Um, but I think it's when, uh, whenever we work with newer editors that we haven't actually seen before, we haven't really um, worked together for very long or something like that. I'd quite like to, you know, see the final bits and pieces before they go out. But you know, we've done like three, four projects now together, so I'm pretty comfortable with uh, with what you do like. Um, so yeah, okay, cool. So with that being said. Yes, we do adhere to um, the points given by either the writer, the director, the producer, whoever uh, says what. 
But at the same time, we are allowed to have that little creative touch flair control over the project. Otherwise, we wouldn't hire an editor in the first place. We'd let the director edit. Mm. Um, so, okay, cool. That's great. So, with that being said now, let's talk about uh, the final point of delivery. So, that's the color grade and stuff like that. How important do you feel like the color grade is on a project? Uh, definitely very important. I think the color grade, you have to make sure that you're, especially in feature films, um, that your grade is consistent throughout the whole film, um, especially from transitioning from indoor to outdoor scenes, or if you change locations, the the film has to look a certain way and it has to it has to feel unique as well. Yeah, I didn't realise how much of a process the colour grade was until I actually started doing it properly. If, when I actually started editing as well, I didn't realise that colour grading was an, act, an actual thing uh, until I got to the end of the project and thought, this looks like crap, how do I make it look better? <laughs> and I realised colour grading is an entire like degree you can get aside from aside from everything else, which is absolutely mental. Colour science and all that jazz is um, such a really uh, specific field. I guess, and there's so much um, detail that goes into specific colours that people take, um, and even in regards to, because it's a process that starts quite early on, um, so you know, colour grading and colour science in general is developed from when uh, you start the shot list um, off and you start designing your sets um, right at the very beginning, through to when you're actually filming, um, and all the way through into the edit, obviously it, it carries right, right the way through. Um, so if you were to be, would you rather Alex actually be given a colour grade by a director of photography first before you um, go to the colour correction process or would you rather develop one yourself? I think I would prefer to be given one initially by the DOP on a film. I think if you've got a starting off point at least you can then go from there and you can alter that but at least you know um, at least you know what was intended by the cinematographer Yeah. Um, yeah. and you know They've been on set. They've been. They've seen everything, um, so it's a lot easier for them to to see what would work. And they've obviously they've lit it, lit it a certain way to uh, have a certain look. So you want to try and match that when you grade. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so obviously, you know, we we grade stuff to um, to show a theme, maybe to show a mood, to light a scene, uh, whatever. Uh, is there any uh, specific like? situation where you've had to use a colour grade to save a shot? Um, I think on Ghost of the X we tried to make the grade seem a bit cooler to try and uh, make it look like it was uh, I guess more of a wintry darker location um, and that was that mm. was something that changed the not massively but it did change the scene and it was it positively changed the scene I think Yeah absolutely um, JD, have you um, have you ever had like a, uh, I guess especially with interview, have you ever said to Alex, "Oh, hey, I want this scene to look this color," and is there a reason why? Uh, yes, but never in those words. It was always something along the lines of, "Yeah, are we able to make it look, I don't know, brighter, warmer?" And then Alex start pressing buttons, and I'm like, "You're a genius." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Do you, so when you write or develop a project, do you ever have like a specific colour scheme in mind? Do you ever want to dress your characters in a certain way, make your set look in a certain um, a certain light, for example? I guess like in my mind, I do. I'll I'll paint a scene as I write, 
but I'm never thinking in my mind, oh, I've got to keep the colour grading in mind. It's not something that jumps to the forefront of my, my mind. And it's one of those you say it out loud and you're like, I really should be in a, a, like a priority. It's something really important and can set an entire scene. But I can't say... I mean, it's like that thing where we go through like A-level media and they say, oh, uh, Curly wears... Uh, oh no, sorry, it's not Curly. It was the other one, wasn't it? It was in GCSE English. When um, oh, what's that? What's that? It was um, certain thing of mice and men, right? Did you do of mice and men? Yes. Uh, in GCSE, what's the uh, what's the girl called in of mice and men? The one that um, oh. the one that Lenny kills. Oh, what's it spoilers! <laughs> yeah, come on, everyone's done it. It's GCSE English. <laughs> Um, but anyways, yeah, she she wears red. Red signifies danger, and then it's not like the 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 writer or anything actually ever thought of that. Um, it's just that you know we thought, oh yeah, come on, surely, yeah, she wears red, so that means danger. That's that's how the analysis goes. But I don't really think that the writers specifically put that in on purpose. I think it just happens to be there, and everyone just signifies it because oh that was it. that was convenient, wasn't it? <laughs> or whatever. Um, yeah, I remember reading. But there are uh, some situations. I remember reading an article that was literally about how when you're when you're writing, don't worry about uh, like making clues or anything. People will make up stuff for you. Just yeah. nod and agree. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like you think about implanted Easter eggs. They're not really there. They're just there because you know people thought up of them on the spot. Maybe this guy is this guy because this guy killed this guy. Oh my god! No, that wasn't the intention. Um, but yeah, like it anyway. The hotel door number is <laughs> so, this uh, number, yeah. and it's a reference to this guy's other film. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no, it's just that was the only room available. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, in a way, I don't think I've ever personally written any specific uh, directions to color science or anything like that in any script or in any uh, process of them making a film. I think it just happens towards the end where I think, right, can we just make that scene maybe a little bit darker because it looks a bit, you know, too bright or whatever. It's just whenever I think about colour correction, not colour grading, it's always like a, a slight touch-up to make it look neater, I guess. And then when we go when we go to the grade, it's always... Um, I always think instantly of blue, orange, or red. That That's the only thing I can think of at the yeah. moment. Um, you know, whether it be like a neon colour or like a like a wintry colour. Something that I really want to do, which I haven't done before, is I really want to grade day to night. Um, I'd, I'd love to try that out properly and see how that looks. I think we were going to do it with um, the next project we were going to film before all this lockdown happened. We were actually going to shoot all of our outdoor scenes in the daytime. Mm. Hope and pray that it was a cloudy day. And then, uh, you know, pull up the blues really hard and make it look nighttime. Um, well, I was going to tell you to do that anyway, Alex. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, um, but here we are now. We can't do it just yet. We're going to have to wait for a little bit. Um, Not unless we so, get really creative so yeah, with, with cameras and everyone films <laughs> things in their own I, homes. I'm leaning out my window of my 500 times telescopic <laughs> zoom lens into Liverpool city centre. Um, but yeah, so colour grading is massively important, but I, me personally, I don't think about it until right at the very end. And then as uh, we can tell, JD, you also... Uh, feel in the same way slightly um let's move on slightly just slightly because at the same time we also look at audio really 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 important um feature in any film 
uh, any project at all. If it has video, it must have audio with it, and the audio has to be decent enough for us to uh, uh, be able to watch it. Otherwise, the whole film looks like crap. I remember being told by Electra that audio is 80% of your project and film or the video footage is the 20% part of the project. So if you have bad audio, you have a bad project, don't even bother uploading it. Um, what do you think, Alex? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's absolutely key part of your project, good audio. You can't have awful audio, otherwise the, the whole scene doesn't work. And that's to do with anything, anything at all. Not just films, not just... You know, even, in, even more important in animation, mm. uh, because the audio is all... Um, generated in post-production anyway. Yeah. Um, have you ever had to use Foley before, Alex? Yes, yeah, so uh, we did a uni project in November and uh, we used Foley Sound for that. Um, it was a drama production and we used Foley Sound for Footsteps. Um, we used it for, I think it was uh, Nails on a Table. Um, just just atmospheric sound like that that we, we used. How did it go? It went actually alright, yeah. Um, we had a couple couple mishaps for audio for the outside audio but um for all our indoor shots the folly sound worked really well yeah so when i did my little placement at hollyoaks the um one of the the scenes i was, I was in the foley room for one of the scenes that they were fixing up and it was basically um one of the main characters dragging a keg of beer outside of the the, the bar um and he needed obviously some foley to put in so he basically got this like box filled it up with books and he said tom do me a favor just drag that out the office for us uh, i said what what do you mean and he's just like just do it just do it and he walked right next to it the microphone we dragged it out of the office the you know hit record put it into the into the project it's really great <laughs> it's uh it's crazy how many how many different things they uh they can think of to reenact the sound that you don't use real life stuff to actually reenact the sound because sometimes you know if you were to actually get a real keg and drag it along the floor it wouldn't sound like the thing that looks on screen we have to get something else it's really strange so they're saying like um uh a balloon bursting sound sounds better if you don't burst a balloon on a microphone you actually get your hand and slap it against a, a metal filing cabinet <laughs> apparently that sounds better or more authentic than actually popping a balloon on microphone it's something to do with the, uh, the the sound level when you actually record it. So if you pop a balloon, you can't control the level at which it records the sound at. So it's always going to be at that loudness. So if you go too far away, it won't sound very authentic. Uh, it will sound like it's, well, of course, too far away. Um, so it's like if I stand back right now and carry on speaking, you know, I sound quiet now, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's like, it's like that kind of similar situation um, with the balloon pop. So if you stand... Uh, the right distance to how you want your sound to record from the balloon, it's too loud. It's always going to be too loud because that's the sound of the bang. So if you stand too far away, it'll stand too far away. Um, so therefore, being able to smack your hand on a filing cabinet, you can control how hard you smack it and it'll always sound the same. So therefore, apparently, that sounds better for Foley. Weird, isn't it? Huh. Really weird. I think it's a similar situation to how they, you know, they start punching meat and stuff like that to make it sound like a punch. Yeah, I know yeah. that like you a know, lot of break noises for like characters tends to be like celery, out of all things. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. you can't get a human bone and snap it in half. No, but you kind of physical abuse. I would have thought it'd have been like you go to a butcher's or something, and you just snap uh, a bone or something from a butcher. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I guess that could be, but it might might be more expensive. I think it's cheaper to buy celery. Than oh, buy definitely. 
so yeah any anywhere you can save money um so yeah foley is amazing it's such a cool uh form of art and uh i'd love to use it more in some projects in the future uh, i think we should like set up a proper foley suite somewhere and actually just get on with it and make most of our we should do like a silent film have no audio at all and record it all in post-production the whole adr process all of the all of the sounds that go in there as well everything should be created from hand should do that as a as a challenge that should be That'd pretty be good almost impossible That'd be awesome. i could see that being yeah. done just no doubt we can't film like film that has too much dialogue in otherwise uh jesus it would uh be so tough to re recreate it's an entire film but all the audio is in post yeah 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 <laughs> so uh so that's like sound um that's one part of sound anyway the other part of sound is the score and the music that goes with it within the film um so scoring is like obviously another very important process i don't think we realize how much score is used in in a film itself because um if you were to just watch um maybe let's think if you were to watch hunted for example that we made without any score at all in the background it would look and sound dreadful absolutely dreadful it would be so weird as well you'd actually tell all of the audio mistakes that we made you'd be able to see all the dodgy cuts that we did everything but with the score added on to it it makes it or sound and feel so much better um have you ever worked with a composer before Alex? uh not directly no actually i haven't so they're actually um it's a, it's a really really good process um they're actually really talented they're very very talented people oh my god uh, you just say to them what you want you give them a little list and you give them the feel of the film you send them the draft cut of the project give them some like correct timings and stuff and they go away and then like a week later they come back with an entire written orchestral piece for you and you're like oh my god <laughs> that was cool that was easy um but then they charge you like 40 grand yeah. and uh you have to cry um but no so scoring is really important i take it then if you haven't worked to the score um if a composer before sorry then you must have made the score yourself right uh yeah or have like scoured the youtube or anywhere to find an appropriate score definitely yeah yeah, yeah. um so for i think it was the confession must have been the confession that we made we we got handed these like scripts in first second year they get second year drama project um we get handed like a choice of three scripts to make uh you know you pick one script you make the the sequence and then you submit it and you get graded on how um you made that short film um so we chose one called the confession that was about um uh what was it about a guy who goes off to to oh yeah guys get deployed in the army right and he, he leaves um is mrs basically and that was the whole thing right about her being pissed off at him for going away um that was the whole story anyway but um we changed it a little bit so we made it so it was like a uh i guess like a 1930s what, what was the second well, second world war themed one basically so he was going off to war um to fight in the world war and she was pissed off at that um so we needed a score that kind of like resembled that so upon scouring the internet we couldn't really find anything that we didn't have to pay a lot of money for so we ended up getting i think it was about 30 individual um stems of different songs and just like piecing them all together to make this one overall score there's so much bloody um uh, audio tracks in the actual file is unbelievable i think there was honestly about 45 audio tracks in the end um in this premiere profile you can imagine how many 
uh, that would have been to scroll through Alex but it was just honestly it was mental God. but it's a really fun process scoring I reckon do you enjoy it? yeah I think it, um, it's again it's something that just changes the entire um, the entire project you know it, there was uh, I read a thing about um, Star Wars saying that without the type of music that was used in that film it would never have been as popular because initially they were going to use uh, more like synth and more like sci-fi oh, no. music and that just wouldn't have worked it wouldn't have got the um, it wouldn't it wouldn't have held the audience for as long without the, the music that they chose and trying to picture so Star it's, Wars but it's got a Thurman instead of the orchestra <laughs> 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 like you, you picture any film, you could instantly hear the score in your head, can't you? Absolutely, right? absolutely, yeah. Especially with all the big blockbuster films as well. Pirates of the so Caribbean, Star Wars. You've got Pirates of the Caribbean, yes, of course. Yeah, you've got Indiana Jones. Um, you know, all all the films are anything with John Williams attached to it or Hans Zimmer. Definitely, you know exactly what film it is straight away. Um, and that's because the score, you know, it's it's what there's one word that could be used to define those kinds of scores, and that's epic, right? Yeah, um, they are absolutely epic in every way. Um, I'd love to make a film with that kind of score attached to it. That'd be brilliant. Um, but uh, but yeah, so the day scoring. we go down the street or to the shops, and you hear someone humming the, the, our theme. Oh, yeah, it's like I made amazing. that. That'd be absolutely amazing. <laughs> <laughs> So we did actually uh, make a mistake at the very start of this podcast. We didn't ask a very, very specific question um, that requires a very, very specific answer that we ask all of our uh, wonderful guests that come on to the show. Was it, have you seen I mean, Uncut when I say, Gems with Adam Sandler? Well, it's, it's not quite that one, but um, that, that's just a specific question for me, man. All right, you have to ask me that every podcast, so you failed already. <laughs> um, no, the actual very specific question we had to ask our wonderful guest. I mean, we've only had Ella on as the other guest, so I mean, wonderful guest, singular. Um, but we did actually try to record this podcast a very long time ago. It didn't actually go too well in the recording process. So we messed up towards the end. So, oh, well, that was it. It was audio drifting. Audio drifting is my worst enemy. And uh, I only figured out what audio drifting was after that podcast. We spoke for like an hour and a half, didn't we, as well? Yes, yeah, yeah. And it was a really, really, really good one. And we were all dead dead happy about how it went and then we found out that the audio had drifted towards the end oh well, <laughs> oh well. cry um but yes the one specific question i want to ask you alex before we head off on this podcast is um do you consider yourself an artist i would say no i don't believe an editor is an artist i believe that if other people working in the production like the producer the director uh, the actors, DOP, I think they are artists because they, from nothing, they pull uh, and they get um, they they get an end product from nothing. They they have an idea in their head and they they work it and they they pu- they push as hard as they can to get that into a final product. The editor, as talented as they are and as hard as they work, they work with other people's pro- uh, footage and they they work to another person's. Um, vision, and so I don't believe, unless they are, or they also have another role as well. I don't believe that they, by themselves, are an artist. 
That's a crazy thought because even even I think you actually answered the question anyway uh, about halfway through where we were speaking before when you mentioned about um, following a script or being taught, told by the director what to do. I think you actually answered the question anyway before. And I, I kind of agree, but I also kind of disagree at the same time because if you think about it, when you say um, the DOP or the director or the writer actually gets it from nothing, well the clips that get sent to you are actually a bundle of nothing as well until you make it something in a sequence on the timeline um, because without yourself or your input or an editor's input in general I don't think we'd actually have a project at all so I feel like uh, as a whole uh, a film itself is a piece of art and every single individual has a role to play in creating that art so every single person within that film should then therefore be an artist right? everyone is an artist creating one particular large art piece um i think when we ever look at art within traditional media it's always one painter makes a canvas project right but you know if we think about film as the art piece then there are like hundreds of uh, individual smaller artists that create this one massive piece in the end yeah i mean you, you um, look at t- you look at tv shows and films there are so many moving parts there's you know there's so many people working on that that those projects it's it's unbelievable you have to work you have to be um you know just good at what you are and efficient at what you do because you you can't afford not to be in a project that moves as quick as it does yeah um so jd it's your time to either light up an editor or burn them down to the ground do you feel like editors are artists or not i would say yeah considering the amount of effort and time it's so precarious it, it's one detail one little clip that goes out of place and suddenly there's just like a couple of frames where there's just a black screen in front of you everything hinges on an editor in my eyes and i have so much respect for people like yourself alex who are able to sit down and make this the masterpiece it is because without it people like me have no idea we're we're done for the whole film stops at me and that's it because we i need you way more than you need me (laughs) something that you can actually tell whether a a film is bad or not is if you notice a cut in a project or you notice a fade or you notice a bad transition maybe it's a bad take anything like that it's all down to the editor it's the editor's fault for putting that in um, so therefore, you know, they, they have so much weight and so much responsibility in the project that they definitely should consider themselves an artist. 100%. Um, but yes, guys, that is the end of this podcast for today. Congratulations on episode 10, everybody. Woo! Come back to bed. Get in there. <laughs> yes, you can go back to bed. <laughs> but yeah, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. Of course, if you do want to check us out on YouTube, just go and hit that channel. It's just below the video just there. If you want to subscribe for more content, we've got plenty of bits and pieces coming up at the rest of this week, for next week, week after, so on and so forth, to help you sail through quarantine like no tomorrow. Um, so yes, we've got plenty of content going up and going live. Uh, every single week i think it's wednesday thursday friday saturday and sunday we have uh, individual videos going out so uh, you know stay tuned for that stuff if you do want to go and check us out over on social media we post every single day on different bits and pieces uh, of course our website is also linked in the description below too alex thank you very much for appearing on today's podcast thank you for having me on you you've been wonderful of course and jd of course has my wonderful co-host too thank you ah, thank you for having me excellent and i will speak to you all next week guys remember Wash your hands, stay hydrated, stay safe, and indoors. Yes.
please do. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. And end recording. Yay. Nice.